Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 939 of Locked on Raptors for Tuesday, May the 4th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley at RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you're an NHL fan, the playoffs are coming up real soon here. The playoffs in the North Division in Canada promise to be particularly great. And you can listen to all of the shows covering the teams that will be in the playoffs in the North Division over on Locked On. You can listen to Locked On Leafs with Mike DiStefano. You can listen to Locked On Oilers with Hernan Salas. You can listen to... What are the other shows? Locked on Jets with Harrison Lee or Locked on Canadians with Laura Saba and Scott Matla. Highly recommend all those podcasts. They're very, very good and they cover the Canadian teams wonderfully well. So go and support, subscribe and get ready for the NHL playoffs. Okay, on today's show, just me going solo and wanted to do a bit of an exercise today as we prepare for the final seven games of this season. A seven game stretch that is looking to have... Less and less play-in meaning by the day. Last night, the Washington Wizards scored 151 points on the Indiana Pacers, who scored like 137 or whatever it was themselves, and still lost because uh, Russell Westbrook is on a tear and he's going insane. And the Wizards keep on winning. They are now three games ahead of the Raptors in the play-in race. Not going to sort of bury the Raptors just yet. We'll wait to shovel the dirt on their grave until after the result of Thursday's game against the Wizards, but... Things are looking dire right now. They played the Clippers tonight. They lose to the Clippers. That'll be three and a half games down and only will be two and a half games back if they're able to beat the Wizards on Thursday, which is not a place you want to be with so few games left to play. So a win tonight is basically essential going into that Thursday game. The Clippers are playing well. They're good. They're troublesome. Obviously, we'll see who's playing. You know, Kawhi's been in and out of the lineup and all that stuff. But I am, uh, you know, good. I'll, I'll call tonight a must win. Why not? <laughs> it really does feel like it. When you're down three games and you have one game left against the team that you're chasing, you know, every win is important. And especially in the lead up to that game with the Wizards, you want to get that sort of deficit down to as little as you possibly can before that game goes down. So, yeah. Big one tonight against the Clippers, but the exercise I wanted to do as things kind of move into run-out-the-clock territory is sort of one that is focused on how, you know, running out the clock is not actually, you know, what this is about, right? There is a lot that still goes on when the team is eliminated from postseason contention. A team is the Raptors, such as the Raptors, you know, there's still stuff to evaluate. There are things that you're watching for. And today we're going to dive into the three developmental storylines that I think are the most important to watch with the Raptors to close the season. If nothing else, go into your viewing experience looking for these specific things and you'll find yourself, you know, having some enjoyment or perhaps toil if things go poorly for the people in Involved in these things that I'm talking about, but still, there will be a reason to watch these games and to be invested and to uh, pay special attention. So, 
going to dive into that today. Uh, Yuta Watanabe is on, on the list of people to talk about. OG Ananobi, Ken Birch, there'll be a couple other people as well. Uh, we'll also dig into another Tankathon Sim of the Day at the end of the day as uh, things grow more dire with the Wizards win last night. Okay, so let's dive in here. Let's start with Yuta Watanabe and the first of the de- developmental storylines I think that you need to watch for the rest of this season. For For me... Utah's a fascinating player, and trying to figure out where he slots in on next year's team is a pretty fun little exercise. I think, you know, there's arguments to be made that he will occupy the same sort of 11th to 13th man type of territory on next year's team, presuming a bit of a deeper roster, some additions, a first-round pick coming into the mix, and we don't know who the first-round pick is going to be, but there are a lot of wing-type players and forward-type players in the sort of late lottery area of the draft, and there's a very good chance that one of those guys could supplant Watanabe on next year's team in the depth chart just because, you know, that's a a greater investment. A first-round pick, a high first-round pick, is always going to kind of get priority over a guy who was a two-way until last week. So he's kind of on the precipice, I think, of being in the sort of staple rotation you expect to see next season and kind of occupying the same role that he did this year. And what happens over the next seven games is not going to be the entire sort of information gathering period here there's going to be a lot more obviously things will be fluid and it's not like any rookie is going to be guaranteed a spot or anything like that once he comes into the NBA next year but I do think this next seven game stretch here for Utah is uh, particularly important because he is kind of on that borderline and the thing that I'm watching in particular in terms of Utah's development is his continued growth as not just a a sort of offensive outlet in general, but specifically as like a movement shooter, a guy who can come off of pin downs and, you know, catch, you know, do catch and shoot stuff. And, you know, he's not standing in the corner just waiting for the swing. He's actively a part of the offense. You're running stuff for him with the second unit and you're trying to get him open for looks because he's a good shooter and because he's got that emboldened confidence that we've seen recently, although it's kind of tapered off a little bit in the last week or so here since his real heights. But that is the thing I'm super fascinated to watch. And there's lots of different ways in which the Raptors can sort of facilitate this development with Utah, right? I think, you know, as much as we gripe about the ugly, terrible, no good bench lineups that start the second and fourth quarters these days, and, you know, it's Malachi Flynn and four bench guys in a lot of, in a lot of cases, you know, those lineups aren't good. They're losing their minutes. They're, you know, suffering severe losses and, you know, kind of handing games over. It happened in the Nets game. It happened in the Nuggets game. It happened as well in the Jazz game on Saturday where that lineup comes in and is just ill-equipped to beat another good NBA lineup. And that's a problem, obviously, for winning games purposes. And, you know, that's part of the reason why they're so in tough when it comes to the play-in race right now. But if things continue to track as they are on track to do so, and they don't figure to be in that play-in conversation by the end of this week, you know, there's plenty of things they can do with those lineups and not feel guilty about it. And, you know, you can roll those lineups out and sort of, let's see, okay, let's do six minutes where we run Utah as like a number two option, flying around pin downs and, you know, taking shots on the move and maybe asking him to run a pick and roll once in a while. You know, he has a bit of a ball handling acumen. He hasn't used it a ton this year, but we've seen it as like a tertiary guy late in the clock, the ball will swing to him. He can make a move, whatever it might be. Maybe that's something you sort of amp up the usage of. You know, he's a guy who I think should be playing a lot. I was pretty 
upset uh, on Sunday during the Raptors-Lakers game when Stanley Johnson at one point had 20 minutes to Yuta Watanabe 7. That should be inversed. I don't think Johnson is long for the plans on this team, and I think Utah very much is or could be, and I'd much rather see him get those minutes at the 3. I would rather him start those minutes where Stanley Johnson's getting the call, you know, when OG Ananobi's out of the lineup. We'll see who's playing against the Clippers tonight. Maybe Siakam's out. Maybe they go with Johnson again. I would hope not. I hope they go with Watanabe, that would be nice because he's a better player who figures into the plans a little bit longer term here and just offers more things. He does the same high-level, high-energy defense thing that Stanley Johnson does while also not dribbling the ball off his foot or bricking every three he takes. And so more Utah, please, and put Utah in positions to do things maybe even above what you expect him to be able to do. You can't really sort of test the bounds of what he's capable of if you're just sticking him in the corner. You know, have him be a bigger part of the offense. And we've seen the movement shooting come along here. We've seen the three-point shot uh, become a reliable weapon for him, you know, as his confidence has clearly increased from the start of the season where he was never shooting. He was always passing up. He was basically wing Mark Gasol, just doing everything effectively on the floor, but never shooting. That's gone away a little bit, and he's kind of become a little bit more, I think, eager to, to put his shots up and hopefully... They can do it in a bit more of a proactive way with him here, where they're really sort of drawing stuff up for him. Make him into J.J. Redick for six games. I don't care. Like, what is there to lose? If he's bad at it, then you know that, and you know that, okay, maybe he does kind of fit into that 11 to 13 range. But if he is someone who can, you know, be a high-volume shooter coming around off movement and, you know, offering an outlet to, you know, the pick and roll that might be the sort of basis of your offense in the second lineup— that's a valuable thing to figure out right now and potentially could earn him a bigger role in next year's rotation, whether it's an eight man, a ninth man, whatever it could be, you know, you could see him be a nightly fixture in the rotation as opposed to being sort of an emergency guy who comes in when injuries pile up. So that's the number one thing I'm fascinated to watch this season is Yuta Watanabe in the final seven games. Does he get more minutes? Does he, you know, supplant Stanley Johnson in the rotation, all that stuff? He should, he should have all season long, but you know, it, it, there's also some questions there. You know, his offensive juice has not been there all season long. Is it just a, a, a little bit of a spell here where he's been feeling it a little bit more? Is he more the player we saw at the start of the season? The only way to find out is to just let him run with it and give him ample time here. And also, considering how shorthanded they are, you know, he's probably like the seventh or eighth best guy they have on the roster right now. So why the hell not put him out there? He's clearly better than Johnson. I think he's probably better than Benbury too. Um, he should be getting lots of run here to close the season. And I'll be disappointed if he doesn't because, you know, it's. I talked about this with Vivek yesterday on the podcast. There's this like little bit of mixed messaging going on a little bit as to how the Raptors are approaching the end of this season where... You know, they're not really taking things all that seriously. They're resting guys. It maybe seems like they're not too worried about the play-in. But in these games, they're playing their main guys 40-plus minutes and taxing the hell out of them in the in the interest of winning. And so it's kind of like, are, are you in it? Are you out of it? Like, what are you trying to do here? And Utah, I think, has been kind of caught up in all of that where, you know, honestly, he, he kind of fits both things. If you're trying to win... He should be playing because he's doing important things on the floor. If you're trying to not win and you're just sort of trying to pass the time and get to the end of the season, then the developmental looks for him would seem pretty important as well. So, yeah, more Utah is basically what I'm saying here is the biggest development storyline to watch. Is he going to get more minutes? Is he going to get more responsibility? And will he get to flash some of the sort of things he's shown that he may be capable of in the last little while here over the final seven games? of the season. We're going to continue on going to dive into a couple more development storylines including OG Ananobi who of course is uh 
the storyline. It seemed almost too chalk to start with him, so we'll pa- we'll slot him in the middle here. We'll get to OG in just one second, but first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'm hosting Locker Rooms every single week. This week, probably Friday, but still working on the schedule. But either way, you can join in the conversation and listen to us with doing the same conversations, except a little bit different here uh, every day. Um, you know, the thing about the Locker Rooms that I really enjoyed is it's kind of a place where I can workshop takes that aren't right, aren't quite podcast ready for a smaller audience, you know, five, six people in the room, Vivek and Katie on the call. I can workshop a take that might be a little bit too spicy for, uh, you know, public consumption. And that's been pretty fun so if you want like the cutting room floor stuff that doesn't make it into the podcast because i'm too cowardly to put it out there as an official sean woodley take uh locker room is the place to be again friday morning is probably when we're gonna fire up the next one go download the free locker room locker room app currently available on ios and android be sure to create a profile link your twitter and join the group of your choice nba nhl and nba or nfl that's the other league sure and i'll be all for the latest league updates follow me at sean woodley to be notified when my rooms go live you won't want to miss it it's a ton of fun can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the raptors see you there locker room changing the way we talk about sports all right we continue on here on the podcast just a note um there's been some weird stuff going on with apple recently if you're an apple podcast listener you may have run into this i haven't had the issue with this podcast on my devices or anything like that but apple is failing to update a lot of podcasts across the board not just locked on shows and so Recommend that if you are having issues with Apple, go subscribe on Spotify or Google or Odyssey Sports, the brand new app from our friends over at Odyssey. You can listen to the podcast there. Um, And if you're having any issues, please let me know. I'd like to know if you're having trouble. But I think it's been fine, at least in Canada. But Apple has uh, done some stuff to mess up their algorithms and all that stuff. So just wanted to put that out there as a bit of housekeeping. Um, All right, let's continue on here. Big time storylines to watch for the rest of the season tonight. We're going to get a really good look, hopefully, at OG Ananobi, presuming he's back in the lineup. Obviously, it seems like the calf thing is a little bit more than just, you know, general rest. It's been something that's bothered him all season long, so maybe they keep him out against the Clippers. I'm not sure, but if we see OG back in the lineup, it's going to just be a continuation of what has been the developmental storyline to watch for the Raptors all season long, and it's going to be against the team where he's going to be deeply tested on both ends of the floor, where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George will be his marks on defense for sure, and also, as he sort of scales up his offensive burden, you would imagine he's going to see one of those guys guarding him when he has the ball in his hands as well, and so... That is the huge thing, is OG Ananobi and his scaled-up usage and whether or not it sort of holds up both offensively, can his efficiency maintain at the north of 60 true shooting percentage he's had all season long. It's gone slightly up in the last month and a half since he, or two months, I guess, since he kind of took on this higher usage role, um, which is great to see. You you love that. Um, But also the thing that I talked about this last week, you know, having OG scale up on offense, maintain that efficiency, but also still have it have enough energy to bring it a defense in the way he typically does, where he's an absolute terror of menace, a monstrosity, a guy that you make monster movies about. Will he be able to continue playing that all-world-level defense if he is a 25% usage guy who's being asked to be a number two option on next year's team behind Pascal? Like, these are important questions, and... You know, we've seen it with Pascal a little bit as his offensive usage has increased, his defensive attentiveness, and just the possession-to-possession effort has not quite been there. We saw this with Kawhi Leonard as well, right? Like, 
you know, he was incredible offensively. That was not his best defensive season ever by any means when he was with the Raptors. And obviously there was load management and coming back from the injury and all that stuff to consider. And by the time the playoffs came around, he was, you know, wrapping up Giannis Antetokounmpo like a freaking Anaconda. And it was great. But there's still obviously that tricky balance when you scale up your usage and can you maintain your sort of outlier skill of being one of the best defenders alive on the other end when you do that and so I think these next seven games are going to be fascinating from that perspective for OG obviously tonight against the Clippers like I said it's going to be a particularly tough test because you have those big long rangy wings who he's clearly going to be asked to guard if he is playing Uh, and then you go forward and there's some other interesting guys he's going to have to guard in the next seven games here they play the Clippers again so you're going to get twice that sort of look at you know the 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 scaled up offense with a huge defensive responsibility on the on the other end I would imagine against the Wizards you know he's guarded Bradley Beal in the past when they played Washington um back when John Wall was still on the team he kind of oscillated back and forth between guarding the two I would imagine he'll get turns on both Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal against the Wizards on Thursday as well there's the Bulls in there, not so much of a worry. The Grizzlies, maybe he guards some John ja Morant. That's a p- certainly a potential uh, you know, option for the Raptors if they don't have Fred Van Vliet or whatever it might be. Jaw is very, very good, and obviously OG can guard anybody. So that's a potential tough assignment. And then the real tough one, in addition to the Clippers games, will be the Mavericks on Friday the 14th of May, the second last game of the season. That's going to be a very stern test. Is he going to be able to guard Luka Doncic, which is so exhausting to do over a long stretch? Can he do that and also maintain the efficiency on the offensive end? These next seven games are not going to tell the entire story of if OG can do that, if over the course of a full season he can scale it up. Obviously, we're at the end of a tiresome, grueling season where COVID and injury have taken a lot of games away from Ananobi and, you know, fatigue might be a factor here. So maybe it's not the best environment within which to evaluate this, but the matchups he's going to come across are in a lot of ways going to test exactly what we're hoping to test here with OG. And I, you know, I feel like he's trended in the direction that he can be an all-world defender still in addition to doing uh, a greater number of things on the offensive end. You know, it's it's tough to scale it over their full season and we won't really know until we get to see it next year for the real thing. But these next seven games might give a bit of a glimpse. If he's able to maintain 60% true shooting while also guarding the hell out of Leonard and and Paul George, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty damn good you know data point as you try to figure out what's going to happen next season. So that is the thing for me with OG to watch, and I can't wait to see it. Hopefully he plays. Hopefully he's healthy enough to go. We're not really sure, again, how the um, calf is, is actually holding up. It's so hard to decipher who's injured, who's resting, and you know what are all the factors going in here. I know the Raptors surely have their sports science guys on it, and um, you know there's there's a method to the madness here, but uh, I'm hoping for the the sort of thrill of watching OG and the one thing that kind of has stakes and excitement and long-term intrigue here for the Raptors. I'm hoping we get to see him, if not in all seven games to close the season, at least a good chunk of them. Um, although they only have one back-to-back left, so maybe we do get to see the sort of full lineup of players a little bit more here, even if things kind of track towards them not making it into the play-in. We'll see. But that's my big storyline number two, is OG Ananobi's development as a guy who can hold up on both defense while hanging in as a really, really good high-usage offensive player. 
We'll get to my final developmental story, and that is Ken Birch coming up in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com who are saving you money on car parts. They're wonderful, and they just have a heart to them that they don't have at the mechanic where they're trying to charge you as much as they can for the probably one option for the given car part that they have in their store. And rockauto.com is not wired that way. They have multiple options for you to check out. They've been working for 20 years as as a family business serving online auto parts customers. And they have everything you might need for your car from the important stuff like engine control modules to the aesthetic stuff like new carpets, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. I can't tell you enough how easy their catalog is to maneuver. I'm a dummy. I don't know anything about cars, but I can find the parts I need for my car super easily, like 30 seconds. You type in the make, model, year, the part you want, and then boom, you don't just get one option. You get many options with varying prices, and you have the power to choose the cheapest price if you so please. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your vehicle right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you as well. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. There's also lots of specialty events that happen from time to time at this time of year, like the NFL draft that went down last week. Lots of money was made on that. Of course, the NBA and NHL drafts will be coming up here too. The Kentucky Derby just wrapped up, so that means there's two more triple crown legs to be raced, I guess is how you call that. Yeah. Uh, Either way, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your favorite UFC and MMA action as well. Before the next pitch, head over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Use this as your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the postseason. Head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, before we wrap up, just wanted to draw attention to something that was talked about in yesterday's podcast and was featured in yesterday's show write-up. The COVID situation in India right now is out of control. It's terrifying. It's it's upsetting. And uh, lots of people need your help. And uh, yesterday I shared some links in the show description. If you want to go back and take a look, there are a couple options there. There's a Google Drive or Google Doc with a whole list of specialized Um, direct donations in India that you can make to communities that are being hard hit. You can donate to buy oxygen concentrators, which are in dire short supply right now. You can donate to, um, you know, sex workers who are currently being affected by the pandemic, trans and LGBTQ people as well who are being adversely affected. You can find all of those links in yesterday's write-up for the show in the link. It's also been tweeted out underneath yesterday's post for the podcast as well at my Twitter account. Um, Vivek Jacob also has the links in his pinned tweet too. In addition to that direct donation link list uh, on the Google Drive, there is also a link to globalmedic.org, which is uh, less direct. You can get a Canadian tax receipt for it, though. That's the big distinction here. The other ones, you won't get a tax receipt, but it is direct. It is too. I'd recommend that. Uh, Yesterday, I bought 10 oxygen oxygen concentrators um, from donatecart.org. That's sort of, you know, I think... That's a great one. Lots of different options there. Of course, you know, 
direct your money where you'd like to go. But um, that's uh, something I just wanted to draw attention to as the COVID crisis in India India, uh, gets completely out of control and is very, very upsetting. And hopefully we can all help. All right, let's continue on here to wrap the show up. My final developmental storyline to keep an eye on here for the rest of the season is Ken Birch and just how big of a contract he's going to play himself into. And like, will he make the Raptors uncomfortable with what his next contract is going to be? Obviously, on this very podcast last week, and this is not Kem saying this himself, but, you know, his mother, Wendy Sparks, was on this podcast and said, Kem's intention is to be with the Raptors. He doesn't want to be with anybody else. And so maybe that makes it a little bit easier to come to some sort of agreement here. But Kem is playing himself into a real contract, whether it's, you know, the Raptors don't have his bird rights, which makes things a little bit tricky. But is he playing himself into Aaron Baines money? Potentially, is he pay, play, paying himself into, you know, five to seven million a year, whatever that might be, well beyond the minimum that I kind of expected it would be when the Raptors picked him up after a kind of quiet season in Orlando. He's been anything but quiet recently, and this is one of them good problems, of course. The Raptors, I I still think, even without his bird rights, will still have the inside track on keeping Ken Birch around. They'll find some sort of way to maneuver it, I'm sure, and he figures to be part of the plans next season. We've talked a little bit about whether or not you're comfortable with him just being the starter on next year's team. I think you'd still want to find an upgrade somewhere and have Ken be one of the better backups in the league, but... You could do a lot worse than this version of Kem Birch, who is passing and defending and crashing the offensive glass and hitting threes and has become sort of automatic on the roll. You'd be you could do a lot worse than having that guy as your starting five, and that's a nice bit of insulation the Raptors have going into this offseason here. But I am fascinated to see over the next seven games how much more Ken Birch can kind of flash here. He continues to flash new things seemingly every night, you know, from the first couple games flashing his defensive ability to sort of switch out on smaller guys in the perimeter and hang with them. He's continued to do that, and it's looking really damn good right now. From that to his three-point shooting, which might be the biggest thing for him, right, is if he can become a guy who hits two threes a game or one three a game on 40% shooting or whatever it might be, that changes what he can be as a, as a player and what the sort of possibilities might be with him. And so just kind of getting a look at all of Ken Birch over these next seven games and sort of figuring out exactly where his lot in life should be with the Raptors going forward here, whether it's a bench guy, whether it's a starter, whatever it could be, I think we'll get some answers here over the next seven games. And you know, I, I trust that he's going to continue to play as well as he has. It was a rough game for him against the Lakers on Sunday. I think you kind of chalk that one up to career backup playing starters minutes in a back-to-back for the first time in his career. Um, you know, he had some missed floaters and things like that, and those have popped up in a couple of games here, and that's probably one of the main growth areas for him is that touch around the basket. You know, that, that floater has been good at times, but it's also been a little bit wayward and it's kind of streaky, it feels like. It's either it's automatic in a game or it's missing every time. And so, you know, ironing out that wrinkle will be something important here to see if Kembridge can kind of work on. Seven games, again, is not enough runway to see any sort of, you know, grand conclusions drawn or anything like that. But that's a big part of, of you know, what Kembridge is going to be asked to do is score around the basket and help the Raptors sort of alter their shot spectrum so not everything is being, uh, you know, hoisted up from outside. If you have a big man who can finish up around the rim and finish those dump-off plays and finish on the dive, that's huge. And he's shown 
plenty of ability to do that with you know catching up the lobs and crashing the offensive glass and the floater games where they have where it has been on but if he can kind of iron out those rough games where it just becomes more of an automatic shot kind of Rashawn Holmes level you know no one's going to be Rashawn Holmes level he's like leading the league in field goal percentage but if you can get it to a point where you're not worried about that floater kind of failing you in important moments because you know teams are going to give that shot to Ken Birch when the rest of the Raptors starters are on the floor they're going to be fine with you know an eight footer from Ken Birch if he can start to square away that and, and, and knock that down with consistency that's going to be a big deal and all of it is a big deal everything we've seen from Ken Birch so far is a big deal considering where the Raptors have been in their center situation and where they figure to go in the future here and all the different options they have this offseason to change the team add to the team whatever it might be all the things he's shown so far have been tremendously important for informing what next year's team is going to look like informing the offseason decision making and the next seven games here continue to be are going to continue to be super informative i think and uh yeah play Cambridge a lot i don't know <laughs> it's uh try to do some different things with him see if you can you know get him to post up a little bit here and there give him a ball in his hands let him run a four or five pick and roll or something like that you know why the hell not it's kind of the same idea as utah right where we're trying to figure out exactly where he slots in on next year's team, and maybe overextending him is the way to figure that out. And maybe you're going to get some failure along the way. You're going to have some rough games because of overexposure, but you're not going to figure out what those limits are until you test them. So lots of Ken Birch. Let's please see him, you know, take some above the break threes, take some pick and pop threes. Like, it doesn't always have to be standing in the corner. Let's see what he's capable of. And if he's not capable of it all, then it's fine. These games don't really matter anyway, and you're not any worse for the wear. So that, for me, is my third big storyline to watch. Some other ones, obviously, are are not unimportant. Like, Jalen Harris is getting minutes. Is he able to sort of carve out a role before the offseason in Summer League? And, um, you know, his contract's up after this year. He's on a two-way. He, you know, who knows what the future holds for him. But is he able to sort of stake his claim as a guy who should get another two-way or something like that next year? Um, you know, it's been a shortened, weird season for him, and, you know, he hasn't had a lot of run. And so if he can get some run here as they're shorthanded with no Gary Trent or whatever that might be, you know, there's uh, there's some value to be found there. Malachi Flynn, I mean, what we've seen has been wonderful development-wise. Can we see him kind of scale it up? You know, the offensive efficiency, still looking for that. Of a really rough game against the Lakers. He goes scoreless. You want to get those bad nights out. You want to make it so he's consistent night to night with the performance and effort. And so that's going to be a thing to keep an eye on here. You know, this is the thing. Just because these games mean nothing, it's not that this isn't the Thunder situation where they're actively trying to lose games and playing guys who probably are not going to be part of the long term, you know, core of the team. This is a team where a lot of its core guys right now in the Raptors are already locked in and we know what a large chunk of next year's roster is going to look like. And this is a great opportunity to kind of figure things out prematurely. It's like an extra preseason almost to get some more data on these guys and get some more information to see where the pieces fit next season. And that is the value of these final seven games. And it's, you know, it's a nice low stakes thing. It's a nice, um, you know, kind of reprieve from having to worry about the playoff chase and being worried about every single game. Obviously, the worry will continue to escalate if the Raptors win against the Clippers on Tuesday and then go and beat the, the Wizards on Friday or Thursday and they're within two and a half games with five games to play even if those hopes will be slim and uh you know depressingly I guess it'll be a game and a half back with five to play but still 
But even then, the odds would be pretty slim, and you can, I think, focus on the development side of things here and be pretty happy about whatever these next seven games bring, as long as it brings development and leaning into those things that uh, we aren't quite sure about going into next season, as opposed to, um, you know, rolling out your starters for 40 minutes a game, trying to win every single game like it's the last thing you'll ever do. So that's where I'm at on that. Let's take a second here before we wrap all of this up to get to our Tankathon Sim of the Day. And today, the Raptors go into today's sim. Number eight in lottery odds, 26.3% chance at a top four pick, 6% chance at the number one pick. And uh, let's fire it up. They have done not so hot on these sims. I think we've done it seven times now. They've fallen down to 10th once. They've stayed at eighth or seventh five times. They've jumped up to four one time. So we move on now to, I believe, our eighth tankathon, tankathon sim of the day. Here's the drum roll. Sim the lottery. And the Toronto Raptors have jumped once again up to fourth. Oh, my God. Uh, Wonderful to see. Of course, I'm finding myself not terribly enthused by getting to fourth in in the draft lottery odds on this exercise because of when Robel was on this podcast a little while back talking about how he doesn't like Green and Kaminga, the number four and five prospects in this draft, quite as much as he likes some of the six through 14 guys. And, you know, I'm sure the Raptors won't just be obliged to take a guy at four just because he's been projected there all season long. As much as Jalen Green, like a high-scoring guard, could potentially be a really nice fit on this this team inside um, the, the sort of construct they already have. You pair him next to Fred put him next to OG and Siakam and then you kind of have that scoring outlet to pair with those very good defenders who can also score and are maybe better as secondary guys maybe that's not the worst thing in the world but I am finding myself not terribly thrilled about the idea of 4-5 as as I am sort of content with the idea of 6-14 through 14. so um, I guess that's where we're at for now we're gonna have a ton of draft coverage by the way like once the season's over it's gonna be draft a lot. There's going to be a lot of silly stuff and, and fun content and things like that, but there will be a lot of draft stuff, you know, deep player profiles, things like that. We'll get some of our Locked On College hosts on to talk about the guys who played at their schools. It's going to be a blast, but uh, and we'll get a better read on the fourth pick and whether it's the place you want to be and Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and all that stuff. So, that's what you have to look forward to here on the podcast. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Congratulations to the Raptors for jumping up once again, their second time jumping up in the Tankathon Sim of the Day. All the power to them. And uh, we'll wrap it there. We'll be back again on Wednesday. Still trying to figure out what tomorrow's podcast or who's guest tomorrow, who's going to guest on tomorrow's show. Um, just working on a couple of scheduled things. A couple of fun guests working on those as well. The good English, good ordering of words, Sean. Um, yeah, I'm working on some other guests that will be a lot of fun in the next week or two. And uh, But either way, tomorrow we'll talk about that Clippers game, regardless of if it's solo or with a guest, whatever it might be. Later on this week as well, Krina Mustafa is going to join the podcast from Unbenched, CBC Sports. Uh, she's awesome, and she's uh, one of the rising stars of Toronto sports media. So she's going to be on the podcast this week too. Javon Shepard's coming on Thursday night to talk about the Wizards game. Loaded week here on the podcast, and we appreciate you hanging all week long. That'll do it. Talk to you again on Wednesday, and uh, have a good one, everybody. Now, go and fire up Locked On Blue Jays to hear about your Toronto Blue Jays as they continue a series out in Oakland with AJ Andrews. That's all I got. Bye-bye. <laughs>